Um, when Pastor Paul said that I was even killed, my wife started laughing. So I don't know if that's a confirmation or a, an opposition there, but uh, just I'm so thankful just to uh, be sharing uh, tonight. Thank you, Pastor Paul, for uh, having me speak, and just um, am excited to uh, just share what God has laid on my heart with you all. I feel like I'm uh, up here with. Uh, some pretty tough acts to follow, you know, the worship definitely killed it, and just um, hearing the testimonies of Greg and Joe is just such an encouragement and such a blessing to me, and uh, fired me up to get ready to speak, so uh, I'm excited. Uh, again, my name is Levi, I'm the student ministries pastor here, and uh, I'm just, yeah, excited. So, uh, do I have any football fans here? Any football fans? Anybody looking forward to next weekend? I thought it was this Sunday. And then I was like, man, okay, one more week. Uh, but looking forward to next Sunday, yeah? Yeah, all right. And uh, who's going for the, uh, the Chiefs? Hearing some boos, hearing some boos. Anybody for the Bucks? Seems like that's the Teen Challenge team right there, the Bucks. No, no? Well, uh, yeah, so I love the Super Bowl. And... Uh, how many people are just like in it for the commercials? They're like, yeah, I'm good with the ads. I'm good with just the, you know, the, the funny commercials. And, um, or the food, right? Um, amen. I'm all the above. Um, and I love the Super Bowl. It's something that uh, my family always made a big deal about. We'd always go to Super Bowl parties. And every year around Thanksgiving, I know this isn't the Super Bowl time, but we would get together and play football. Uh, my friends and I, we would do it around Thanksgiving. We would do it around uh, the time of the Super Bowl, and we would call it the Turkey Bowl, right? So we would get together and play football. It was like full contact football. I'm not a big guy, and uh, I'm playing full contact football. Guys half my size, twice my size, and um, you know, we're tackling each other and having a great time and uh, just playing football, and that was a yearly tradition. And us, as a yearly tradition as well, it wasn't just uh, playing a game of football and having a good time there. We played this other game called Crush the Carrier. Anybody ever heard of Crush the Carrier? All right, I'll tell you what Crush the Carrier is. Uh, so Crush the Carrier is when one person has the football and everybody else tries to crush the person with the football. They try to tackle them. And you know how you see on TV with like the dog piles? Like it's, it's like that. And so, of course, me not being a big guy, when I got the football, I was either uh, run really fast or uh, get rid of the ball quick because uh, I don't want to be crushed. And so, but it would never fail that I would be crushed at some point. It would never fail that, you know, where everywhere I turn, there's going to be someone waiting there for me, waiting there to tackle me, waiting there to uh, crush me, right? And... Um, how many of us ever feel like we've been playing crush the carrier in our lives? Like emotionally, spiritually, mentally, maybe even physically. Maybe where everywhere we turn, we see a different fight, a different battle, a different area that is trying to crush us, a different area that is trying to fight up against you. It seems inescapable. It seems like you've lost before you've even begun. I don't know about you, but I can say in my life that I felt that a lot of times. And so tonight I want to talk about uh, that a little bit. The title of my message is Don't Throw in the Towel. 
don't throw in the towel. And we're going to look at someone who, uh, in the Word of God, um, in Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, was in a situation where it looked like he was in a crush the carrier moment. He was in a, uh, a moment where no matter where he turned, it looked like he was going to lose. So again, that's going to be Second Chronicles chapter 20. And this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. This is one that I revisit pretty often, and God always reveals new things to me in it. And so I'm excited just to be sharing from this passage this evening. So who we're going to read about is a guy named Jehoshaphat. And um, that's a, if I mess that name up at some point tonight, have a little bit of grace. But Jehoshaphat, and he was the king over the land of Judah, And so he was the king over the land of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. And he was a guy who was a good guy, a good king overall. Uh, He set forth a ton of reformations and a ton of pathways that would lead the nation of Judah towards God. He he built a strong military as, you know, he he had a strong uh, military presence within the kingdom of Judah. He organized a system of courts and a system of law and order that wasn't there before, all of which was based in God. And he appointed judges, judges to be uh, not judges of on behalf of men, but on behalf of God. And in his reign, for the most of it, there was prosperity and peace throughout the nation of Judah. But Jehoshaphat, he was a human being like the rest of us, right? He wasn't a, he was a good guy, but he wasn't a perfect guy. And so he compromised his faith in certain areas. He made alliances with wicked rulers for personal gain and power. He said, well, if I have this guy as my ally, then I'm going to have more power. Then I'm not going to have, I'm going to have an ally if a war comes our way. And he made alliances with these wicked rulers, and this one wicked ruler was named Ahab. Anybody ever hear of Ahab? Yeah, he was the king of Israel, and he was a a devout worshiper of Baal and taught Baal's uh, doctrine to his people. He uh, he persecuted and was in conflict constantly with the prophets of Yahweh. Uh, He aligned himself, so Jehoshaphat aligned himself with Ahab to bring forth that peace and prosperity that he sought in his nation. He said, well, this guy, you know, he might be wicked, but he has a wicked army, so I'm going to team up with this guy. Their lands were constantly in conflict with one another, and he said, you know, we will no longer be in contact and in conflict with one another if I am allied with him. It gave Judah security. It gave Judah protection. It gave it power but it drew them into a time of severe compromise, a severe compromise of their faith. And so we would read a few chapters earlier than where we're going to be looking at this evening in 2 Chronicles 18, that Ahab and Jehoshaphat went into battle together and Ahab died. And Jehoshaphat had a near-death experience. And Jehoshaphat, after this moment, turned back towards serving God faithfully, no longer compromising his faith. And that's when he made those reformations I previously spoke of. And he led by example in his life, pointing his nation to God. And all of that is like a background as we're headed into the passage this evening. So so we're in 2 Chronicles 20, starting in verse 1. It says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, 
came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in En Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So what's going on here? After Jehoshaphat made all these reformations, he made all these changes, started pointing his nation back to God. An alliance of armies, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites, all different land around Judah, said, we're going to form a coalition, we're going to form an alliance, and we're going to take out this guy Jehoshaphat. We don't like the reformations he made. We don't like the changes he's making. We don't like, you know, what he's doing. And we can, he no longer has the ally in the north. We could take this dude out. That's what they're saying. And so they get together and they have a vast army approaching Judah. They were quickly approaching and they were on Judah's doorstep. They were outnumbered. They were outnumbered. They were going up against not just one army or two armies, but three armies. Again, like I said, they no longer had their allies in the north. And we should know that Judah was not a, a, a scrub of an army. It was a big army. If you were to go back a few chapters uh, back in Second uh, Chronicles 17, you would see that at his disposal, Jehoshaphat had over a million soldiers, a big army. A big army. He had he had fortress he had fortresses. He had cities that were prepared and built for war. But they were still outnumbered. They were still outmatched. They were still outgunned. Jehoshaphat knew that they were in trouble. He didn't see how on paper they would win this fight, and it didn't make sense how they would win this fight. And so we're going to continue reading in Second Chronicles. 20 verse 5, and Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms in, of the nations. In your hands are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your prophet, your, before your people Israel and give it forever to the Dependence of Abraham, your friends, and they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear us and save us. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and the Meunites from Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great army that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So this enemy is on Judah's doorstep. It's on King Jehoshaphat's doorstep. And so Jehoshaphat instantly, as soon as he heard of this, 
he pointed his people to God. He said, we're going to have a fast throughout all the cities of Judah, and we're going to seek after God. We're going to get down, and we're going to pray, and we're going to pray, and we're going to pray. He pleaded with God in his desperate situation. This is kind of like a prayer that he's praying to God as we just read. He's saying, are you not God in heaven? Right? Would the God in heaven allow this situation to come into our lives? He says, in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. He's saying, this enemy can't withstand you, so why can't we take him out? He's saying, you've done this before. You can do it again. He's saying, we've seen you do stuff like this before, God. You can provide and do this again. And he's even saying, God, remember when, when Israel wanted to invade these lands, you didn't allow them to? And this is how they reward us. They come, and now they're going to fight us. And he closes by saying, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat and the land of Judah were in a helpless situation. They did not know what to do. In a straight-up fight, they would certainly lose. They're not going to be able to, to talk their way out of it. They're not going to be able to run from it. They did not know what to do, but they sought after God and looked to him in the midst of it all. I have four points tonight. My first point that I want to apply to our lives is to set your sights on God in the midst of your circumstance. Set your sights on God in the midst of your circumstance. And whatever circumstance or battle you are in right now in your life, set your sights on God. When we set our sights on God, and when God is our target, we will never miss. When God is our target, we will never miss. When we set our sights on him, we will never miss. Though defeat in your life may seem inevitable, set your sights on God. Though you don't know how you'll overcome it, set your sights on God. Though the world might be crumbling around you, set your sights on God. Though the flesh is creeping through and it seems like it's going to win, set your sights on God. Though the devil is clawing at you and trying to overcome you, set your sights on on God. Though the enemy is on your doorstep, set your sights on God. And though your enemy may be great, know that you serve a God that is greater. Set your sights on him. We're going to continue reading in verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly, and he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will not need to... You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jerusalem. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go against them and the Lord will be with you. My second point tonight is surrender the battle over to God. Surrender the battle over to God. I learned a long time ago in my life that there's a big, big difference between knowing God can do something 
in a situation, knowing what the Bible says, knowing what God has done in the past, knowing what God has done in the past in my life, knowing that he can do something in a situation and truly giving it over to him so that he can do so. Have you ever fought battles that you know you should have surrendered to God, but you fight them on your own? How did that work for you? Time and time again in my life, I'm like, man, I know I should give this over to God, but the flesh creeps in, and I'm like, Levi's got this. this that's not that big of an enemy. I can, psh, come on now. Time and time again, I've done that in my life. And if you fight your battles on your own strength, you will always lose. You might be able to trick yourself into thinking that you won one here or there, but reality is, more times than not, we will lose. But when you surrender the battle to him, he won't lose. That's a guarantee. God won't lose when we surrender the battle over to him. Why? Because we just sang about it tonight. He is a, a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper. He is our great defender, our champion, our strong tower, our fortress, our author and finisher, the beginning and the end. He is a God that has never lost a battle, and he never will. And he tells that to Judah in the form of prophecy. He speaks through a guy named Jehaziel to Jehoshaphat and Judah saying, do not, be, do not be afraid. The battle is not yours, but it is God's. You will not need to fight this battle. God is pretty much saying to them, don't worry, I've got this. And I believe God wants to speak that same message to some of us tonight. Some of us in the midst of our battles tonight, God wants to say to you, I've got this. I'm with you in this fight. Do you believe that God is going to fight for and with you? Do you believe and trust that he's going to overcome the battles that you are faced with in your life? Are you willing to place the battle you are in in his hands and surrender it over to him? Not thinking that you surrendered the battle over to him, but have you truly surrendered the battle over to him? I like the way Greg worded it is flirting with it. Are you flirting with the idea of surrendering it over to God? Or are you actually doing it? I encourage you, whatever it is, give it over to God. Jehoshaphat and Judah didn't just say, well, God says he's got this. God says we're not going to have to fight this battle, so let's go uh, watch Netflix and eat popcorn and chill and, and watch God do his thing. From the beginning of this passage, we see that they sought after him in prayer and fasting throughout their entire nation. And that's what they continue to do as we read in verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel, with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, 
for his steadfast love endures forever. My third point tonight is to fight with your prayer and your praise. Fight with your prayer and your praise. Charles Spurgeon wrote, It is the most powerful form of prayer just to set a case before God, just to lay bare all our sorrow and all our needs and say, Lord, here it is. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat and and Judah did in this case. Even though you know God's got you, even though he said, hey, I'm going to fight this battle, hey, I'm with you, it does not mean that we should sit idly by. We should be seeking him in prayer and praise. We should be actively fighting in prayer and praise, interceding, praying, fasting, focusing on him, worshiping him, exalting his name. Prayer and praise are not only communication and exaltation to the Lord, but they're weapons used to fight against the enemy. Jehoshaphat knew that. He believed that. So that's why he called for his entire nation to fast and to pray. And that's even why he sent out the worship team on the front lines to go up against the enemy. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to get my best soldiers in case this does come down to a fight. I'm not going to get the guys in the most armor. I'm going to get the guitar players and the tambourine players, and they're going to go out and they're going to say, All right, give thanks to the Lord for a steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Every time I read that, my flesh kind of kicks in, and I'm like, bad move, bro. <laughs> like, I love you, worship team, but I don't want you uh, on the front lines if I'm going to war. I want some Lord of the Rings looking dudes on that front line. But he sends the worship team to lead the charge. Prayer and praise should be our weapons we fight our battles with. Persistent prayer and praise permits victory. E.M. Bounds, an author and theologian, said, If we are weak in prayer, we are weak in all things. I want to ask you tonight, how... Are you praying and how are you praising? If you're weak in your prayer, you'll be weak when the battles come. If you're strong, you'll be strong when the battles come. Fight with your prayer and praise and fight relentlessly, strongly, faithfully. We're just going to look at a few more verses from this passage. Verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, not before, not after, but when they started to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Mount Seir, They all helped to destroy one another. So I just want you to imagine this, okay? This massive army is headed your way, totally outnumbering you, totally outgunning you, totally outmatching you. You're being led into a battle with the front lines being harp players. You know, God said the battle was not yours, but it looks like it's about to be real quick. Like it looks like, okay, God, he said the battle's not ours, but we're literally marching at each other right now. You're getting ready to fight 
for you. You're getting ready to fight for your family. You're getting ready to fight for your nation. And just as about your, just as about your, you're about to engage, the opposing army turns around and starts fighting one another. Confusion just overcomes them, and they just begin killing each other. And you're sitting there watching that. Judah didn't have to swing a sword. They didn't have to shoot an arrow. They didn't have to lift a finger. All they did was praise. Why? Because if we were to go back in verse 15 and verse 17, we would see the battle is not yours, but God's, is what the prophet said. You will not need to fight this battle. My fourth point tonight is watch God win. Watch God win. God didn't just fulfill his promise to the people of Judah in winning, but he blesses them more than they could have imagined. We're not going to read it, but if we were to read the rest of the passage, we would see that after all is said and done, they go out to collect the spoils of the war that they did not have to fight. They would go and collect you know, the clothes and the swords and whatever else, all the goods that they had. And it took them three days to collect all that stuff. Probably a huge blessing to them, right? Money and all this stuff that God just blessed them with because of their faithfulness. And when God wins, he wins. I mean, come on now. When God wins, he wins. In the battles you are facing, watch God win. If you believe that God is fighting for you, that he is going into your battles alongside you, that he is for you and not against you, that he is your defender and he is your champion, then watch him win. Who or what can stand up against him? Watch him win in your marriage, in your finances, in your disease, in your addiction, in your conflicts, in your depression, in your fear, in your anxiety, in your family in your hopelessness, in your helplessness, in your pain, in your heartache. Watch him win. Watch him win, but don't do so on the sidelines. Judah was told that they would not have to fight the battle that they were about to go into, that the battle was in God's hands, but they still had to suit up and show up. They still had to go out there. They still had to put on their armor. They still had to show up. They still had to have their weapons at the ready. They still had to march out towards their enemy. Not because of a lack of faith and saying, well, you know, maybe God doesn't got this and let's, you know, I don't know, get ready to fight, I guess. It wasn't a lack of faith, but it was a step of faith saying, okay, God, you want us to go out there? We're going to go out there and we're going to trust in you. Every battle the people of God ever went into, if you go back and read throughout all the Bible, even if they knew they would win, they still had to suit up and show up. So why in our lives do we think that God's just going to, and we have to suit up and show up? In your life, in in your circumstances, in your battles, suit up and show up. Watch God win but suit up and show up in the process. Each and every one of us here tonight have fought, are fighting, or are about to fight a battle in our lives. The church as a whole in America is fighting battles. 
Maybe you're here tonight, you say, well, I'm good. I've got this under control. I'll fight it on my own strength. Maybe you have complete and utter faith that God is going to win these battles, and you're like, hey, God's got this. Maybe you're just facing one battle, but you say, oh, I can handle one enemy. It's not like there's three up against me. Maybe you're facing multiple, and it feels like a game of, of crush the carrier. Maybe you're feeling hopeless and helpless and like the situation is too far gone for you to even possibly win. Maybe you're ready to throw in the towel and give up on this fight. I'm reminded of a movie. It's very theological in nature. It's called Rocky. Any Rocky fans? Amen. At the end of Rocky 1, he is in this fight against Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed is the world boxing champion, and he was supposed to destroy Rocky Balboa. The only reason he wanted to fight him is because he was called the Italian Stallion. He thought that would look cool on paper. So he's fighting him. Rocky doesn't stand a chance, people think, and it ends up going the distance, and it's about to be the last round. Both these guys are duking it out, getting cracked ribs and bloody noses and swollen eyes and... Rocky says, don't you dare throw in the towel. And Apollo Creed says, don't you dare end this match. And they're about to go duke it out some more. And I believe that that's what God wants to say to you tonight. I heard it clearly in, in my time of praying as, we were preparing this, as I was preparing this message. And he said, don't throw in the towel. Don't you dare give up. Don't you dare give in to the battle. Don't you dare throw in the towel. Don't you dare stop fighting. Set your sights on God no matter the circumstance you are facing. Surrender the battle over to him. Fight with your prayer and your praise and watch God win.